Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is your podcast from movie fans for movie fans. If you like this podcast, which I hope you do after the first three seconds, rate, subscribe, tell your friends about it. We'd love to be able to spread the love on the podcast. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, and I'm joined by the U.S. soccer clad Rob Dunham. One of my favorite U.S. jerseys right here. That is a good one. I do like if it. If you haven't noticed, uh, our country has kind of been in the news lately. But uh, <laughs> don't let yesterday's events distract you from the fact that it was clearly a cover for Nicolas Cage to finally succeed in stealing the Declaration of Independence. There really was other, no other explanation that makes sense. <laughs> I, mean, I saw him in a picture. It's, it's true. Like It had to, yeah. It's there's no way it was Photoshopped. It's definitely real. It must be true. So, yeah. <laughs> it must be true. That was a terrible <laughs> Nicolas Cage impersonation. You're welcome. Well, other than the impromptu Nicolas Cage references, we have a great show for you here. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Alex Garland's new film. Is L.A. actually still be the head of the movie industry when all the dust settles? Um, what movies are coming up? in the first part of the year coming up. And we'll talk about our wishes, our wishes for both the new year and for movie props. And of course, we'll be covering our watch list. So Rob, you ready to get started? Let's go. Okay, all right. So we're still on the Nicolas Cage references. Are we ever not? All right. So our first story today, I wanted to bring this one up because I think this guy needs more attention. Uh, Alex Garland is getting a new film. Um, Alex Garland is a writer director and he's getting a new project called men. And this is going to be with a 24 studios and it's going to star Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. Um, I love Alex Garland. I think Alex Garland is fantastic. So some of the stuff you might've seen from Alex Garland uh, coming up would be, um, he was involved in 28 Days Later. He was involved in Sunshine as writer. Um, and then he started in uh, with some of his directing. Uh, so he, all the films he's directed and written so far have been fantastic. Ex Machina, Annihilation, and um, then he did the show Devs, if you're familiar with that on FX. That was a really, really well done show, Devs. So, um, Rob, what do you think about the new movie? Um, to give you a little bit of, of uh, comments here, the film, if I can find it, I had the highlight here. The film follows a young woman who goes on a solo vacation to the English countryside after the death of her ex-husband. Now, since it's Alex Garland and since it's A24 Studios, we know that this is not just going to be a straightforward, you know, somber romantic movie. But what, what are your thoughts? Um, how do you view Alex Garland? And what are your thoughts on his new movie? Yeah, this movie will be no picnic. Fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Alex, Alex Garland is fantastic. Uh, Annihilation is such a good movie. It makes me deeply uncomfortable. But it's really well done. And I like when a movie can do that. Um, Ex Machina is another movie I really, really enjoyed. Um, Domhnall Gleeson and Oscar Isaac in that movie, and you should definitely watch it if you have not. Oh, yeah. Also, Legion of Vic Ander. Um, so I'm very excited for this movie as well. Uh, Jesse Buckley is someone who I think is about to break through when it comes to acting. If you have not watched the new season of Fargo, you should immediately. In my opinion, it's the second best one they've done out of the four, and that's pretty high praise because they're all good. Um, she plays a psycho psychopath nurse named Orietta Mayflower in the show. And just it, it's crazy how into the character she is and how much you believe that she is this person. So I would highly recommend checking that out um, in anticipation of her starring in this movie. And I think that although she's not a name, a lot of people know, I think they'll you'll be very impressed by her in this and 
it, it also shouldn't be understated that A24 is behind this. And if yeah. you have any idea about the production quality of their films, not that I've liked every one of them, but they are solid. Like if, if A24 is producing your movie, you know, it's going to be pretty tight cinematography and usually pretty well written. Like I, there are very few movies they've put out that I don't think are quality. So the combination of all these things has me really excited about this movie. For sure. Yeah. Alex Garland is one of my favorite directors. I would probably put him maybe number three on my list of the favorite directors behind uh, Nolan and Dennis Villanueva. But uh, he is, he's so fantastic. Whenever he writes a movie, you know that it's going to have a depth to it. Every single one of the movies he has, he has written have just incredible amount of depth and perspective in them. And then as a director, he has been able to pull off some just fantastic films. And so, you know, you're in for a treat whenever he gets a movie. So everything he's done, I've, I've thought it's just been fantastic. So anytime he's becoming one of those, for me, one of those go-to guys, as soon as I know he's doing something I'm in. So I'm, I'm ecstatic that we'll, we'll see his next movie. All right. So next story. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Deadline did a, a story asking the question, is it possible that when all the dust settles and when the movie industry is back up and running, that Los Angeles will potentially no longer be the home of the movie industry, the so-called capital city of the movie industry? Now, the article is goes on through a whole bunch of factors um, from like uh, LA being rated one of the more dangerous cities in terms of natural disaster potentials to the fact that it's currently one of the, you know, one of, if not the top hotbed of COVID at the moment. Um, it even goes a little bit into the politics and the tax codes and, and the fact that a lot of businesses have been fleeing LA. Plus we've seen for years uh, that other places have been able to lure movies with uh, certain tax breaks and tax incentives. Uh, so this I thought was just an interesting, it was an interesting thought. We've done a lot of stuff over the past few years or past few episodes and past few months talking about the potential future of the movie industry. So this is kind of right along those lines. What do you think of this idea of LA at some point being dethroned as the capital of movies? Well, there's a truism uh, when it comes to the, uh, an article that either poses a question as the headline or the main point of the article is a question, yeah. that the answer to the question is no. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that applies to this situation because mm -hmm. there's just too much infrastructure and history and, and main movie studios basing their operations in that area for it to change in any kind of quick fashion. Now, how we consume the things that are produced there is changing, um, but I don't think that's going to change uh, the expansiveness and main uh, focus of that location, to be honest. I'm going to take the other side on this one. I think this could legitimately happen. Um, and for a lot of the reasons we've cited, I think, I think what we're starting to see is I think we're starting to see the decline of, of that region. And as more and more people from Elon Musk to a bunch of the tech companies start jumping ship on California, I think it's inevitable that somebody will be the first one to step. And my guess my, my guess would be that Disney would be the first one to go because I think with Disney already having a major foothold in Florida, that it is possible that we see sometime in the future that Disney moves their production to Florida. Um, like I said, we've also seen that like in TV, for instance, you see a ton of TV shows are shot in Canada, uh, particularly Vancouver. They've moved, they've moved a lot of TV production out of the United States and into Canada. We've seen places like for a number of years, Pittsburgh had some really good tax incentives and you saw a number of films all of a sudden pop up with the setting of Pittsburgh. 
Um, I can think of Jack Reacher. You can think of the third uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie was shot primarily in Pittsburgh. Um, so you've seen this over and over again, how places have been able to lure movies um, away from that setting. Um, now there's still so much infrastructure. So I don't think we're talking about, you know, in the next year or two years, but I think it certainly is possible that um, you're going to see a drain away from California. I think you'll find that the third Batman movie was actually filmed in Gotham, but you know. <laughs> although, although I will say when they, when they show the scene of all the bridges blowing up, that is absolutely New York City. <laughs> it's absolutely New York City. The most of the movie is filmed in Pittsburgh, but the bridge is blowing up. They're blowing up the bridges all around Manhattan. So, I mean, if you know Skylines, you little spoiler there. Very destructive. Yeah. Had to cost a lot of money. <laughs> it is interesting because we've seen so many in the rest of the movie industry, we've seen this massive shift and massive changes. So to me, it would, it's inevitable that you will see in other areas outside of just simply content and distribution. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it will be interesting to see what happens. All right. So now let's do a little bit of preview of what's coming up as we're in a new year. It's possible that this will be a loaded movie year because of all the movies that got pushed out of 2020 into 2021. So we could be in, could be, could be in for a fantastic year of movies. So I thought what we'd do is we'd go, go through some of the movies um, that are coming out over the next uh, three, four months. So Rob, was there anything you saw that you wanted to highlight right off the bat? Uh, why don't you go ahead? Cause I looked through the whole year, not just specifically the first four okay. months. So I might not know exactly what's coming in the first four months. Yeah. So you're getting stuff like Tom and Jerry, Rhea and the last dragon, um, the King's man, which is kind of the prequel to, uh, to the uh, to the series with the Kingsman, so that one's coming out, and that one that one I'm looking forward to. I didn't love the second one, but I really love the first one, and I've seen the trailers for this one, and I think it looks pretty good. So that's coming out in March. That's out on March 12th. Um, you're seeing obviously now this may or may not get a theatrical release, but you're getting Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, his Justice League cut coming out in March. Um, really looking forward to that. And of course, there is, the signature of the early part of the year will be No Time to Die, scheduled to debut on April 2nd. So those are some of the things to look forward to um, from the first part of the year for highlighting just stuff that comes out for the next couple of months. Now you looked over the whole list. What, what did you see that intrigued yeah, you? For those of us who are not ridiculously obsessive about it, No Time to Die is the new James Bond movie. Yes. Sorry. We are that. not aware. <laughs> we, we have to give, we have to give that, uh, that caveat. Yes. So, so am I talking about the whole year right now? Talk about whatever you want to highlight, whatever you saw. Well, you know, I, I think it's year. pretty obvious that we have to be excited most for Minions, The Rise of Gru, or uh, oh, yeah. Rabbit 2. I mean, <laughs> what else is there? <laughs> I, hey, although my children might be excited for those, that is not what I'm excited about. Uh, there, there are almost too many movies coming out this year, theoretically, that, yeah. uh, that I'm excited about to go through. So I'm just going to, I think I'm going to go with three. Okay. Um, Probably the one I'm most excited about is uh, Dune, I think, mm. which mm -hmm. is just, yeah. I'm excited to see what is done with it because yeah. it's just such an epic story and there's been pushback about can this actually be put on film effectively for a long time. So I'm really interested in seeing what Villanueva does um, with the story. Mm -hmm. I'm just excited to see where it goes. Uh, another one that I'm very hyped about is uh eternals mm -hmm. with uh camille i'm not gonna even pretend to pronounce his last <laughs> name um as in the main role and a very buff version of himself mm -hmm. uh which is uh one of the marvel cinematic universe movies that's slated to come out this year yeah and then one one under the radar one that mm -hmm. i think is going to be really fun and i think a lot of people might miss so i want to bring it up is there's a movie coming out uh, starring Ryan Reynolds called Free Guy, 
And I think it's going to be hilarious. So if you don't know anything about this movie, uh, Ryan Reynolds is going to be playing an NPC, a non-player character in a video game. Yes. He becomes conscious and realizes that all around him, people are getting slaughtered. (laughs) 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 And uh, in some cases, coming back to life. And he's going to wonder what in the world is happening and why. And it's just going to follow him as he tries to make his way through and out of this video game. So... I think that has potential to just be uh, absolutely uproarious and hilarious. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Uh, you also have A Quiet Place 2, Part 2. A Quiet Place, Part 2. Should a Quiet be, Place. A Quieter Place. A Quieter Place. But it is not a quieter <laughs> place. It's A Quiet Place, Part 2. That's the only thing we can think about when we talk about that movie. <laughs> How did you miss this naming opportunity? I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> Quiet place to the library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that one's coming out. So it will be interesting to see because that that was a very singular horror film. It'll be interesting to see if they can expand that universe and and really make it something worth seeing. Yeah, it kind of has a very definitive ending. Yeah. First one. I mean, it's open-ended as to what happens, but it's really like a stark, like this is it moment. And mm-hmm. now we're going to go past that. So I'm really, I'm, I'm curious if they're going to show like what happens in that scene at the end of the first one, or if they're just going to fast forward and we're going to have to imagine them destroying all the monsters that came at them. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd be a little disappointed if they don't show some of that. So yeah. we'll see. And as we've talked about a little bit uh, over previous weeks is that, one of the things that happens is you get, when you get a first movie, you get a singular story with a singular focus. And then when you start going with the sequel, what they have to do is they have to expand that universe out. And the question always is, is do we care about the universe that's out there? And is there enough storyline out there? And so I am curious to see how this one goes. Um, but I think, I think it has good over. It's also worth uh, mentioning that uh, John Krasinski died in the first one, spoiler alert. Um, So we have to wonder if his character will be involved in flashbacks at all or Mm -hmm. if he'll even be in it. So I think, you know, that that adds another layer of, uh, I wouldn't say trepidation, but maybe just a little bit of concern uh, Mm -hmm. when it comes to how quality the movie will be, because his character was definitely a huge part of the first movie. Yeah and carried many parts of it so he is coming back as director so he will be involved and i I should be in this scene so i'm going to (laughs) (laughs) uh and we have black widow of course coming out so that will be that will be fun and we did mention earlier no time to die which obviously i think we're both excited about but also um we are james bond fanatics and i think that we are also a little nervous about that because the last uh Bond movie Spectre was was uh, very underwhelming to say the least. Yeah, the Daniel Craig Bond movies have been really hit and miss. Some of them have just been out of this world fantastic and some of the other ones have been left a little to be desired. So we'll see if this one falls into uh, which category this falls into. So I do think that ahead. I do think that uh, having Rami Malek involved as the villain is a very good casting choice and from what I've seen in the trailers, it seems like there will actually be some depth and menace behind this character, uh, unlike some other people who really made <coughs> Blofeld nameless um, <laughs> over the last few Bond movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it could be it could be a fantastic year for movies. I'm hoping that leads that. And so that leads us directly into our first discussion element for the night. Um, what is it that you are looking most forward to in terms of movies for the coming year? What, what is your hopes and dreams? What are you looking forward to for movies? Well, first of all, I'm excited or hopefully the opportunity to use my movie subscription again and actually go to movie theaters and sit in a seat and watch movies. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't missed not, uh, I haven't missed paying the $20 or whatever a month out of my wallet to do that. But I have missed the benefits of said $20. So I'm, I'm excited to be able to do that again. Um, I'm excited to 
be surprised by a movie that I might not have high expectations for because that always happens mm-hmm. uh, at least a couple times a year. And um, I think that that like like you said, with the backlog of movies, uh, just looking over a list of like the 60 most anticipated movies coming out this year, about half of them had 2020 as the release date because they were supposed to come out last year and didn't. So there's definitely going to be an inordinate amount of good, I think, good stuff coming out. So I'm excited about that. And um, I, I am, as I mentioned, a few of the movies that I'm really excited about, but I am also very excited about uh, No Time to Die. And I think it will be good. And I really hope it will be good. So we'll see. Yeah. I think one of the things I'm most looking forward to, and this is, of course, a hope and not a definitive expectation of being in a crowded theater on opening night for a big movie and the buzz as the movie is getting ready to start you know that that's one of the coolest feelings when you go to an opening night of a big movie and like you sense the energy in the crowd as everyone's anticipating you're there with all the fans of the movie um i hope i get to experience that at some point this year it might be towards the end of the year um, but I'm hoping I'm hoping I get to experience that this year. So that's that's one of my hopes. I think one of my other hopes is that that we can start getting to a place where a movie says it's coming out on a particular date, and I know it's coming out on that date. <laughs> you know, not the build up, build up, and build up, and then oh man, you know. So I I think those are a couple of things I'm looking forward to. Um, and I would just say, um, definitively Dune and, and as you were talking about, No Time to Die, those are the ones that I've, you know, I, I was so looking forward to seeing this year and that was then some of the ones I was the most disappointed about them being pushed back to 2021, but now we're here in 2021, we're here. So, um, that, that's what I got. Yeah, I definitely hear you on missing that buzz feeling when you're there on opening night. And if you happen to go to my first suggestion from earlier tonight, Minions, The Rise of Gru, you might also (laughs) experience the feeling of a toddler kicking the back of your seat, children (laughs) crying, and maybe gum thrown at you. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And and popcorn being spilled all over your head from the... Oh, it's all part of the experience. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I miss it. I miss it. So yeah. Anything else you got for uh, hopes and dreams for 2021? No, I don't have many hopes or dreams. Only (laughs) nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. I mean, other than, you know, Manchester United winning the Premier League, which will happen. um, Uh, I don't have too many other hopes or dreams. Not a chance. (laughs) Put your hopes and dreams into that basket. It's going to be a rough year for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this is again this is not a soccer podcast <laughs> all right so if you if you personally if you're out there listening and you have a specific hopes or dreams for for the movie year this year send us send us a comments um leave us a comments on the on the video or on the podcast we'd love to hear what you're what you're hoping for for the 2021 in the year of movies so now we got another fun discussion item and this one was brought to us by you, Rob. And I love where I love where we're going with that. So you sent me earlier this week. You sent me an article about a live auction for Big Dave, a replica of Big Dave from the SpongeBob movie. Rob, you want to tell us a little bit about this? If if you're not aware of who Big Dave is, uh, some of us are not uh, SpongeBob aficionados like myself. Um, David Hasselhoff's character in the spongebob movie yes there was a live action david hasselhoff in the spongebob movie oh yeah yeah makes a lot of sense there's also a giant version of live david hasselhoff and they're selling the giant statue version of live david hasselhoff which is like 20 feet tall (laughs) it's huge and they're selling this thing for thousands of dollars at this auction and uh it made me think about what movie prop could you not live without? Like if, if you were given an exorbitant sum of money and were told 
you need to spend this on something for yourself, like something that isn't practical. And maybe if they went into further detail and said, you need to spend it on something from a movie, uh, what would you choose? Now, I, I told Ryan that I came up with the correct answer and I will not accept any other answer. Um, but before I give the correct answer, I'd like to hear uh, Ryan's feeble attempt at answering this question. Okay. Now, here, here's what I got. If, if I have something that I absolutely need to have from a movie, it has to be The Rug. The dude's rug from the Big Lebowski. Does bring the room together. It ties the room together. Did it not? Did it not <laughs> tie the room together? Quite nicely, in fact. Yeah. I mean, even now, I'm hoping that we can get it dry clean because after it was micturated upon, I, I feel like we need to clean it before we can bring it into the house. But I absolutely need the dude's rug. <laughs> well that's just like your opinion man <laughs> uh and and uh my opinion i mean the correct answer and we got to suspend disbelief here because mm -hmm. we're talking about movies mm -hmm. so we're gonna ratchet the suspension of disbelief way up because otherwise this wouldn't like no one would want this but we're just gonna pretend that it's real because mm -hmm. we have to and so the only correct answer to this question is the suitcase from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> because I want to know what's in that suitcase. And the only way you're going to know what's in the suitcase is if you're holding it in your hands. And we're just going to pretend that it's not just like lights underneath a cutout suitcase. Mm -hmm. And it's actually something incredible and amazing that just defies description. Kind that of makes the entire cast of the movie want to kill each other to get... Um, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, it's, it's glowy. Like, there's a yellow glow. So maybe we're dealing with some gold. Yeah. But, uh, some some plutonium, perhaps. I don't know. But uh, I got to see what it is. I got to have it. That's kind of like the, uh, the, the last package from Castaway. <laughs> I just needed to see what's in it. What is in it? I don't understand. What is in it? I need it. I'm pretty sure it's not a Tennessee Titans Super Bowl victory. No. No, no. <laughs> Sorry, Tom Hanks character. <laughs> no defense, man. It's <laughs> just that one extra yard they needed. It's right there in the box. <laughs> man, our, our uh, one Tennessee Titans fan listener is really sad now. Is never going to listen again. <laughs> yes, apology to all of our Tennessee Titans fans. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin Dyson. <laughs> Yeah, I like I, I I like that. That's that's a that's a quality choice. A quality what what else what else can you think? There's there's got to be other things that we we want from movies. I mean, uh, there's so many science fiction props. Mm -hmm. If if uh, if if you could think through them, for me, uh, my favorite vehicle in any science fiction movie ever are the AT-AT walkers from Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So I I'd love an actual one of the miniature figurines that were used to film yeah. those scenes. That would be amazing. And I bet those cost a lot of money. <laughs> I I think one of my favorite vehicles from the Star Wars movie that I would love to have is the uh, like the the little aerial vehicles that they flew around Endor with. Mm. Um, I forget what the name of them is, but those things look fun. Like if you had one of those in real life, that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. the little speeder doohickeys. Yeah. Those, those things are rapid. And usually, uh, occasionally piloted by good people, but usually by the bad guys. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you got to think about the lightsabers and mm -hmm. who's you want the most. I'd have to go with Mace Windu just because Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> wanted a purple lightsaber. And they were like, purple lightsabers don't exist. And he was like, I want a purple lightsaber. And so they gave him one. <laughs> so I, I want his purple lightsaber. I think if we're going to go weaponry, I've got I've to go with the Lord of the Rings. And I need one of the I uh, one of the one of the swords from Lord of the Rings. Either the one Gandalf has, or um, I, I forget all the Elvish names of all these swords. I know I should I should know them all. Or the one you're not enough of a has. nerd, you fake nerd. Yeah, <laughs> I know. There's just too much. There's too much Elvish. Like they get I get them confused. I think I'd also like to pick up the golden gun mm. from uh, the man with the golden gun, James Bond. Oh, yeah, and. Um, 
well, while we're talking about actual physical weaponry, uh, I said to Ryan before the podcast that I would also like the magical silencer in every movie that makes every gun actually silent. <laughs> it would be very effective for committing some crimes. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love when I watch a, a movie with uh, my one friend who is uh, into going to the shooting range and is very skilled and proficient marksman. And he's like, uh, yeah, that's not how that works. But apparently every silencer makes the gun sound like pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, neither one of us chose Jar Jar Binks. Oh, Misa disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I must say, I had I had a plastic version of one of these as a kid, but an actual phaser. Oh. You know, like one of the real phaser props. I had like the little plastic one that made noise and shown a little light. But they actually made, for a while, they actually made like ones that had actual laser pointers in them and stuff along those lines but one of the one of the phaser props from from the next generation i think would be would be fantastic bring it full circle to uh, close out the segment from the beginning of the show uh the fake copy of the declaration of independence from national treasure would be pretty cool as well yes <laughs> yes because it's definitely fake and he didn't actually steal the declaration of independence no. wake up people wake <laughs> up <laughs> oh. Um, if you have any any of your favorite movie props, let us know. We'd love to know what you want uh, for movie props. So um, maybe if you if you guys send us some of those, we'll talk about them here coming up on the on the upcoming podcast. All right, so it's time to move on to our watch list. Um, movies that we watched from last week. Rob, you want to get us started? Uh, well, I watched, I believe we both watched uh, one of the movies, and I'll, I'll uh, save that, I guess, for my second, since you can follow up on that. Um, so there were a couple movies I watched that I enjoyed that I wasn't necessarily expecting to hmm. have a huge affinity for. Uh, like I said before, one of my favorite things about movies is being caught surprised by something or maybe liking something a little bit more than you were expecting to, or being a little more impressed by the quality of a production than you were expecting to. Hmm. For those of you who don't know, I have two young children and a wife who all enjoy watching uh, family Disney movies uh, all the time, always. And uh, I, I enjoy watching with them because I like to hang out with my family. So there are actually two Disney original movies that came out on Disney plus recently that I watched this last week. One was called Godmothered and one was called Noel. And I have to say that they were both very enjoyable and funny. And Mm -hmm. uh, Noel has Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader in it as the children of Santa Claus. And interesting. It uh, takes some very interesting twists and turns. And despite some horribly rendered CGI reindeer, it is uh, pretty funny from start to finish. And, unsurprising considering bill Hader is involved uh he's a pretty funny dude and uh he plays the son of santa claus who does not want to be the new santa claus and runs away to phoenix arizona which makes sense yeah uh, of course. and anna kendrick plays the daughter who is trying to figure out how to save christmas and she has to go rescue her brother and hilarity ensues um godmothered is about uh the motherland where all godmothers live and their world is dying because no more children are asking to have a fairy godmother. And that's so depressing. But um, in lieu of them all becoming tooth fairies, which is the threat in the horizon, uh, the one lady, uh, the one godmother decides she is going to go answer this last request that came in. And she's going to go help this 12-year-old girl uh, unfortunately, when she gets there, it turns out the 12-year-old girl is now 38. <laughs> and as you can imagine, things get a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a very enjoyable movie, and uh, I highly recommend that as well. If you have a uh, young family, definitely check Noel and Godmothered out. Um, if you don't, you might enjoy them anyway. If you just want to 
watch something that will distract you and make you feel pleasant feelings. Uh, watch that instead of Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I recommend those. And then the the other movie that I watched uh, actually just the other day um, was called The Wandering Earth, and it's on Netflix. It's a Chinese movie. Actually, so uh, very interesting when the um, production information came up at the end of the movie, I was like, that looks familiar because the production company that did this movie also was involved with the most recent Charlie's Angels movie hmm. and uh, kind of brings out the influence and impact that uh, Chinese production is starting to have on the movie industry. It's actually becoming a lot more prominent in case you haven't noticed. Uh, companies like Alibaba, Braun, and um, some of these other uh, production companies are fast becoming big players in the, in the film industry. Uh, this movie is in Chinese, so it's subtitled throughout. There are parts that are spoken in English, also Russian, French, German, and other languages. Uh, very multicultural movie. I The thing I, I find it very interesting that China is like the focus of the movie as an American, we're used to the United States being the country that solves the world's problems <laughs> when the world is ending. And it is not the case in this movie. It's actually China. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily super uh, relevant or, or a problem with the story because the story is really about um, saving humanity as a whole. And I think that it was very effectively done uh, one, I think the thing I appreciated most about it is there's a lot of science fiction out there, but this felt very, uh, it felt very real to me. The effects were very, very high quality. And it felt like the things that were happening were actually happening. Like it was this big grand vision and uh, it felt realized to me. Um, I think that this, the story itself, like the idea behind it is kind of probably not possible in reality like i don't think the world would survive being flown across space uh but i did i did like how they played it out and um the story between the father and son was uh emotionally compelling and uh i really enjoyed the cinematography of the movie as well so if you can uh stand reading for two hours then you should check this out i know that's not for everybody but i i've uh been pleasantly surprised many times by taking the effort to watch a movie with subtitles because just because it's not in English doesn't mean it's not good. So they're worth checking out every once in a while. And I definitely enjoyed uh, The Wandering Earth. Yeah. And Count Me is one who tends to disc, who tends to be more on the side of discounting movies that I have to read um, from the standpoint of. And I would say that for this movie, for me, um, I, I do think it took away a little bit from the experience because it is such a visual movie. And so I'm constantly, my, my, my eyes are constantly torn between wanting to engage with the visuals and then wanting to read what's on the screen. And I keep going back and forth. So it did take a little bit away from the experience. Um, and, and I think right off the bat, the first thing that struck me was the concept of, okay, the planet is in trouble. The sun is, is going to expand and collapse the entire solar system. Um, I think there's a reason why every other science fiction movie is like, how do we get people off of earth and not how do we move the entire earth to another solar system? <laughs> because I think the concept, the concept clearly is, is just taken too far. Like there's so many, there's so many, problems with that that scenario um and now to their credit they do use some of those problems as plot devices um and as as a way to tell the story um, but i do think the premise might be stretching the borderlines of being too out there but it does create for some interesting moments and it does make it a little bit original because it is a different take on on kind of the disaster planetary destruction type movie um, what I noticed, there was good chemistry between some of the main actors and the main characters. I think some of the buildup in the film left a little bit to be desired in terms of um, the, the setup for the movie. But I think, I think it was interesting. 
I, I think it was, I mean, it was certainly worth watching. Yeah, I can't really disagree with anything you said there. I, uh, I would say that the, the story development definitely could have used a, a little bit more. Uh, I was kind of disjointed in the, in the way that there was one story going on on Earth and another story going on on the space station, and there wasn't really a connection until really the third act of the movie. Uh, but I, I think that it told a pretty coherent story, and um, like we both acknowledged that like it's impossible <laughs> but it's okay it's okay to uh make something impossible every once in a while yeah i think alice in wonderland told us that, that you should yeah. think about several <laughs> impossible things every day and i think one of the things with that is with any d with any good sci-fi movie there has to be kind of like a philosophical underpinning and and like explanation of of the world scenarios so the the fact that they try to move an entire planet um is both a plus and a negative in terms of its sci-fi credentialing which which puts it into an interesting category um so yeah check that out that's on netflix um so some of the stuff that i saw uh this week is and i forgot to put this on the list but um Wanted. I, I rewatched the movie Wanted with Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy. Um, and this movie came out in uh, 2008. And I remembered liking it at the time. It's a movie about um, a guy who finds out he's part of like some assassin's guild and he's got like these special skills that can do things like curve bullets and, and stuff like that. I remembered liking it at the time that I saw it, but it's been years since I've seen it. And watching it again, I'm like, wow, this movie is so over the top. And James McAvoy's character is so outlandish and so crazy. And it, it just, I was like, wow, um, this is not nearly as good as I remember. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was almost like, I, I, maybe my tastes have evolved in, in the last 12 years, 13 years, but man, I was, wow. So I'll have you know that that's how I felt about it. The first time I saw it. So clearly I have uh, just, I'm more refined than you uh, obviously. Yeah. So. so I don't know. I don't know what the deal was <laughs> as, as to why I thought it was a decent. I think you were probably just distracted by Angelina Jolie. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it was a it was a pretty bad movie. And this, I mean, it has Morgan Freeman in it, you know. Um, interesting note, it also has Chris Pratt for a very brief moment. Chris huh. gets a uh, a cameo in that one as the uh Star the loser, Lord, the loser Star best friend. Star Lord, man. <laughs> Star Lord. <laughs> so I watched that one. I'm I'm not so glad that I did, but I watched that one. Um but I am glad that I rewatched once again Blade Runner 2049 as part of my uh, my looking back at Roger Deakins we talked about last week. So check out that podcast last week. Um, but once again, every time I watch the movie, I'm just blown away by every single aspect of it. The score is fantastic. The score is just so highlights the, the film. The cinematography as Roger Deakins is off the charts and the directing uh, the performance from Ryan Gosling is incredible. What's so great about the movie is there's so much of the movie, there's so many different little moments and little scenes where they tell something visually, where they actually tell you a piece of the story visually without any of the characters having to explain it. They're just able to show it to you in a way that connects things. And it's just so well done. And very few times do you come back to a series 30 years later and you can both pick up where you left off and create something new and fantastic at the same time. Um, it's incredibly difficult to do. And Dennis Villanueva just blew it out of the park with this movie. I mean, every single one of the visuals is just absolutely stunning. I think I'm going to do something where I write an article about some of uh, Roger Deakins, some specific scenes in Roger Deakins, some of these movies and break them down a little bit because there's just so many memorable ones. I would say the only downside to Blade Runner 2049, and it's weird to even say that because it's just mm -hmm. so good. Um, is that I, I do feel like if you have not seen 
the original Blade Runner, some of the emotional impact is not as prominent um, in the third act. And I don't want to give away what happens because I'm sure a lot of people haven't actually seen the movie yet. But I, I think I would say if you want to watch Blade Runner 2049, it would do you well to watch the original Blade Runner first. Um, I think it just adds a whole lot more weight to what happens in the story. Yeah. And uh, the the only problem with that is if you're watching both those movies, you're committing to about six and a half hours of movie <laughs> watching. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think they're worth every minute of that amount of time. And it took me a long time to come around to an appreciation for the original Blade Runner. It's one of those movies that was groundbreaking at the time, but lost a lot of its, quote, groundbreakingness as it moved on. And as time progressed, I mean, we've seen a little bit of that with The Matrix, um, movies that were just so fantastic for their moment. Uh, but I've come around a lot on that movie to a place where I, where I accept it. Now, you don't absolutely need to see um, the first one in order to get the movie and because it has a very independent storyline. But like Rob said, you will get, you will get a, a heightened emotional impact in the story. The story will mean more if you've seen the first one. All right, Rob, what, you, what are you watching this week? So I'm going to cheat a little bit because this isn't technically this week. It's actually next week. <laughs> but I, I think there might be some people um, who don't necessarily watch the podcast the day it comes out or listen to it the day it comes out. So I want to make sure this information gets out there because this is stuff that's coming up starting next Friday. And just in case people don't uh, have a chance to see next week's before next weekend happens, I want to make sure they don't miss this opportunity. Um, so I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. Uh, for what I'm going to watch. And it's the universal monster movie basket. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, this just was released today, this information. Um, but universal is putting several movies up on YouTube to watch for free next weekend. Oh, interesting. Uh, January 15th, Dracula from 1931 and the mummy from 1932 will both be put up for a week. Uh, the following day, the 16th Frankenstein and the bride of Frankenstein from 1931 and 35 will be put up for a week. And uh, on the 17th, the Invisible Man, the Wolfman, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein from 1933, 41, and 48 will all be put up as well. And all those movies will be available for a full week on YouTube for free, uh, which is a really cool thing, I think, that Universal is doing. Um, I can't say I've seen all these movies yet, but I have seen some of them. Uh, but I think that a lot of people have probably seen snippets or scenes from these movies, either within other movies themselves, which they've, they've been referenced in many different movies. Uh, oftentimes there will be like a little, someone will be watching on a screen and you'll see a piece of another TV show or movie. That's another thing we could write an article about sometime, probably the uh, use of film within film. Mm. Um, but uh, these are classics and there's a reason that they're, classics and they're so well regarded obviously they're in black and white <laughs> but uh um i highly recommend them and i think that if you see them you will see things that you have seen referenced in pop culture before uh because they were such classics and there's a reason why so like uh just to run through the list again the 15th dracula and the mummy the 16th frankenstein and bride of frankenstein and the 17th, The Invisible Man, The Wolf Man, and Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which I'm really excited to see. I haven't seen that one. I'm really excited to see that because Abbott and Costello are great. So I'm excited to see their interaction with Frankenstein. <laughs> nice. All right. For me, one of the things I will watch was uh, a movie I actually got for Christmas but haven't had a chance to watch yet, um, Searching. Uh, Searching is, is a really cool movie. It's It's really unique because it's – its focus is on uh, how we communicate digitally. And so the entire movie is, is shown and shot through the perspective of like the camera on a cell phone or the text messages on a cell phone or the webcam from a computer. All of the digital, all of the digital means are all, um, filmed like that they're all from camera so every single every single shot is 
you know, you get a screenshot of a computer and you get someone looking through email and then it uses the webcam to show the person and you have a FaceTime call back and forth. And so it's, it's really talks about how we communicate in a digital age. And it's a story about a guy trying to track down his missing daughter. And so it's a fantastic story, but it's really unique from the perspective of how it's shot and, and the kind of way it communicates. And so it's, it's a fantastic watch. I remember seeing uh, info about this when it came out and being intrigued by it, but uh, not seeing it in the theater. So this is definitely one that I want to check out as well. Yeah. And then um, I didn't get around to 1917 this year or um, yeah, well, technically yes, this year. <laughs> um, I have not watched it this year. Um, Correctly incorrect. Yes. <laughs> so I want to, I want to hit up 1917 as well. Always a good choice. Yeah. All right, Rob, you got any last thoughts for the folks? I'm going to steal the declaration of independence. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, somebody might have to at some point here. <laughs> So you have to steal it to protect it. Yes. The only way to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've made enough Nicolas Cage references, we better wrap this show up. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us on Film for Fans. Uh, visit our website, filmforfans.com. Check out all of our content there. Uh, if you missed our review of Wonder Woman 84, check that out on last week's podcast. And I'm hopefully going to be showing, uh, throwing up a short snippet of our review of that on YouTube. Uh, something new we're going to try and do is um, put some some specific reviews up uh, up on our YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out as well and rate and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. You can do it. I know you can. Until next time. <laughs> yes. Until next time. Uh, enjoy the movies. Keep your stick on the ice. <laughs>